uh, if you guys want, uh, you can begin by turning to Ephesians 4. We, uh, about four months ago, Russ, uh, Julie, and myself met at Indaba Coffee, where we usually meet on Wednesdays, and kind of set out the preaching schedule. And uh, we set that out far in advance so that we know who's speaking on what and that we break up the book uh, in an appropriate way. And uh, I don't know if we actually did this on that morning or if because of the move and some of the transition we had to uh, lump some of our messages together. But uh, this morning we have a lot to cover. Uh, I use the phrase a big chunk of scripture, which is not a technical term at all. Um, But because there is so much material, this is going to be, again, kind of a uh, maybe a more broad overview at some uh, pretty um, unique and distinct ideas. So as you're turning to Ephesians 4, the verses we're going to look at are 7 through 24. As you're turning, I want to I want to share a little story. Uh, for those of you who maybe know me, you know that I have a bit of a reputation for sometimes saying things from the stage that are, um, although meant maybe as harmless jokes, come off as mildly inappropriate at times. And it usually happens uh, in, in two ways. It's when I'm thrown on stage without rehearsal uh, or when I need to transition from one like serious element of a service into another serious element uh, of a service. And uh, actually in staff meetings, sometimes we have the conversation of, uh, maybe let's not have Kevin transition that one because he will inevitably be awkward or say something inappropriate. And that's where Russ comes in because um, he's incredible at that. February uh, 2006 was no exception. I was in the second year on Young Life staff. How many people know what Young Life is? A lot of us in here, right? Okay. I was in the second year of, uh, on Young Life staff. I was on staff in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And we had a regional leadership weekend. A regional leadership weekend means uh, all of our leaders from our region, which was essentially northern Idaho and eastern Washington, gathered together. And we said, man, we want to have, uh, we want to treat leaders and volunteers and committee and, uh, and staff to a really great weekend. We want to take them to kind of a destination place. This was in February. People are tired of the winter. And so we said, let's go to Templin's Resort in Post Falls. It's beautiful there. Uh, Post Falls this time of year. This is a joke. You guys can begin to laugh. <laughs> and so uh, we ran out Templin's uh, Resort right on the river. And uh, we have a couple of hundred Young Life staff, volunteers, committee, uh, and uh, people, Young Life people there for a weekend of refreshment and training and encouragement and uh, a weekend of fun. In the midst of this, I was tapped to be, to be the MC for the weekend. So the person that kind of went up before and after speakers and introduced people and kind of kept the program running. Again, I was two years into my Young Life uh, career or vocation at this point. This was kind of a big deal. It was especially a big deal because Gail Ebersol the vice president of Young Life and the highest ranking female in the organization at this point was going to be in attendance at this weekend. The, uh, our region at this point had um, seen a, a decent amount of success. It was really healthy. The ministries were vibrant. And so Gail was flown in or, or uh, flew in for the weekend to get an idea of what is this region, this, uh, I can't even remember the name of the region, the Inland Northwest region or something. What are they doing that uh, is creating vibrant ministry, and how can we learn and then take this into other areas of young life? And so Gail's going to be there. It's a big deal. It was my chance to show the world my remarkable stage presence and my ability to captivate a live audience, and I was stoked about it. Friday night, everybody comes in, and, uh, and I'll be totally honest, and I say this with as much modesty as I can, but I nailed Friday night, okay? 
my jokes were crisp, transitions were really good. I went to sleep feeling like, okay, that, if this is any indication of how the weekend is going to go, this is going to be a great weekend um, for the ministry, of course, but then also for me, obviously. The next morning after breakfast, there was a testimony from a local leader, uh, not actually in Spokane. I believe this gal was from like the Wenatchee area or somewhere around there. She was giving a testimony about uh, this ministry that she's doing with a small group of high school girls. And, uh, and some of the issues that these young women are facing and how she has been faithful to walk alongside these young gals as they navigate uh, all of the issues that come with being 16 and 17 and, and, and in high school. And um, it was one of those moments where you just feel like, man, God was on stage with this young gal. She's 24, 25, relatively young, volunteering, and, uh, and the stuff that she's doing and the faithfulness uh, that she is showing with these girls was just remarkable. It was like this unbelievable five-minute testimony about this work that God is doing through her. And after the testimony, there was supposed to be her Young Life staff person to come up and uh, lay hands on this lady and pray over her and kind of transition us into the next speaker. So this young gal's on stage. The spirit is moving. It's powerful. And uh, she kind of is getting done. Like you can tell, you know how like people are starting to wrap up. You just know when people are starting to wrap up. She's definitely there. And I'm starting to look around kind of like, hey, where's this prayer woman? Like she's got to be here somewhere. She's nowhere to be found at this point. And so this gal kind of closes her testimony. And then it's that awkward, it feels like an eternity, but three seconds on stage where she's just kind of like, okay, I don't know what to do at this point, you know? And, uh, and her staff person didn't come up. And, and so I'm the MC. I mean, this is like on my shoulders right now. So I'm in the corner. I jump up on the stage. I put my arm around this gal, total assumed familiarity. She has no idea who I am. <laughs> I'm playing it off like we're friends from way back home, you know? And, uh, and we, I, I just say, hey, thank you so much for that powerful, powerful testimony. And I kind of pause, and like, you know, it's like I'm building this moment, you know. And then I said, seriously, though, thanks for sharing. It was especially powerful for someone whose spiritual giftedness is ministering to, t- ministering to teenage girls like myself. <laughs> and the second I said it, the second I said it, I didn't, people didn't laugh. Like, like, this was good. I'm glad you laughed this morning because people in the crowd did not laugh at this at this moment. The second I said it, there was that like lump grew in my stomach. And I just like, the, the internal thoughts were, whew, that was not an appropriate comment at that point. And the, the air kind of left the room and this gal felt super awkward. And then I just uh, kind of looked around and had a couple of moments of awkwardness, and I met eyes with Gail in the back. She was standing in the back, because vice presidents never sit down. They're always standing in the back. And she had this look on her face, and it was a look that, um, she didn't need to say words. It was the look that said, Kevin, I'm not angry. Kevin, I'm not even mad. I'm just deeply disappointed in you at this moment. And so I just awkwardly said, okay, and here's our next speaker, and then walked off the stage. So, although untimely and perhaps a little uh, irrelevant, my joke was intended to communicate a biblical truth. The truth that we all do, in fact, have 
spiritual giftness, right? That's what I was trying to get at. I just said it in a really stupid way. Your spiritual giftness is that place deep within your soul, given to you by God, not of your own merit. It's the hard wiring that makes us uniquely individual in how we best serve and extend the kingdom. Paul is hoping to expose this truth in verses 7 through 16. This is the first part of this big chunk of scripture that we're going to be looking at. Paul is hoping to show us that we have all been given gifts, gifts that need to be used. This is what he says, and you can read along. Again, verse 7 is where we start. And he says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are grown up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which, is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul kind of begins, as he often does, reminding us of a, a pretty profound gospel truth. Essentially what he's saying in that first part when he's talking about the ascension and descending into the lower parts of earth, he, he's essentially saying this, the Lord became flesh, he conquered evil, he turned upside down the systems of the world. He defeated all of the enemies. And after three days, he is the resurrected king. Gospel truth, right? He ascended into the heavenly realms where he now, through his grace, bestows upon each love and mercy and blessing and gifts. So he takes those first few verses, and he sets the stage for this transition. Because up until this point, Paul has really been pushing the idea of Christian unity, of togetherness in the church. As you may have noticed, if you've been following along with the Ephesians series, there's been this foundational theme up until this point uh, of this idea of we need to be unified. But now there's a subtle shift in this message, right? Paul brings to the forefront the idea that in our unification, in our uh, uh, need to be unified, each of us is different. We each have been given a unique gift, one that sets us apart from others. He transitions from a message of the need for all to be unified in one body, faith, baptism, one hope, etc., which he talks about earlier in chapter 4, to the idea that we are all created different. And that when each of us understands and leans into their differences in service and action, the church will finally be able to become the full expression of what it was intended to be. 
We see Paul speak about this idea in other New Testament areas. In uh, Romans 12, through th- uh, 3 through 8, the whole thing will be up here behind us, but here's just verses 4, 5, and 6. For as in one body we may have many members, and the members do not, have, do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If, proce- if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, uh, the one who teaches and is teaching, so on and so forth. Again, in 1 Corinthians, we read this. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I hope you can see the paradox that he's beginning to create In his writing, be unified, be of one mind, strive for togetherness, but realize you are all different. Realize that each is unique in how they are gifted and that the church is only truly unified when we are free to live into those differences. The first part of our Ephesians passage is a continuation of these well-known verses I just read in Romans and 1 Corinthians. Paul is clear throughout his writing in the New Testament that we have all been gifted in very, very unique ways. Now, specifically for our passage this morning, he's discussing what is often called the fourfold ministry. You see, Paul is not necessarily discussing the jobs that we have or even the offices that we might hold within the local church. What he's discussing are the ways in which we can minister to the world. He uses broad terms to show show spiritual gifting that each of us has been given, specifically apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These, again, are not titles as much as they are ways in which we can engage in ministry. They represent the something deeper that resides in each of us. That something that wants to be unleashed when we think about how do we best extend the kingdom. So let's look at these, uh, these four things real quick. All right? Apostles, the first one he, he mentions. When I say apostles, don't think about just the 12 guys that followed Jesus. Those who are apostolic are visionary in how they think. They tend to orient their thinking strategically. They long for the advancement of the church. They are the people always pushing toward the further establishment of the kingdom. How can we reach this next people group, this next culture? How can we establish this next thing? Apostles in our community, if we were to boil it down or distill it down to uh, where we're at right now, apostles in our community are the ones in our church that are dreaming about how our move to this new building can start more nonprofits, can start more churches, all right? That's what those types of people, people that are apostolic in nature, that's what they're dreaming about in our move. Prophets, the next one he listens, uh, uh, lists. Again, don't think about the old bearded guy talking about the Mayan calendar. This is not what he's discussing. People who think prophetically are the ones not afraid to ask questions. The ones not afraid to wrestle with the status quo. They are often not afraid to say the things that might push theological or cultural boundaries. They are the people that seek to make sure the voice of the church remains relevant wherever it is. 
Prophets in our community are the ones that have probably asked the most questions about our move downtown. They are the ones in our community that have the strongest voice to say, we, we need to make sure we don't lose our new community-ness, our DNA in our move. We cannot just be about a building. We are far more than a structure. People that are prophetic are the ones that are saying those things. Evangelists. Not the crazy ladies with unbelievable hair in the 700 Club. That's not who he's talking about. Evangelists are the people who dream and desire about filling the church. If we set up another row in the back, could we get more people in the door? They are includers by nature, always concerned with how more people might be involved how more people could be a part of our community. How could our groups expand so more people could come and hear the life-giving message of Jesus? The evangelists are the ones that are absolutely excited about moving downtown because it's a bigger space and there are more chairs and there are more people walking on the streets that might just happen to walk in the doors. Pastors and teachers, not just bald guys with beards like Russ and I. Pastors and teachers, they're lumped together because their purpose is somewhat similar. They are the people called to care for spiritual, emotional, and the physical needs of the church people. They tend to naturally disciple people. They desire to make well the sick. They seek to restore relationships. The pastors and teachers in our community are the ones either looking forward to walking alongside our partners or have missed the fact that we are moving all together because they're too busy having coffee with people. Those are the pastors and teachers. Now, not all of us is all of these things, right? Calvin says this, No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able, without the assistance of others, to supply his own necessities. In fact, it's likely that each would have one or two of these things that they most deeply resonate with. I most deeply resonate and am gifted toward being a pastor first and then a prophet second. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't elements of these other things of uh, apostolic or uh, evangelist in my life, but it does mean that I've been gifted or that I have been naturally bent to pastor people and that I have the tendency to think in ways that question the status quo. That is where I operate most freely, where I feel most natural. I am not overly apostolic. I am not overly evangelistic. Now, this was a very challenging aspect for me being on Young Life staff. When I was on Young Life staff, our vision statement was this, every kid everywhere. That is what we said ad nauseum. Every kid, everywhere. That is an incredibly evangelistic tone, right? Let's reach every kid everywhere. Now, I can get behind the sentiment of that, but I would much rather the vision be this. Some kids in certain places. <laughs> That's where I feel most comfortable. They tried that for a little while. They had a, a tough time raising money, honestly. <laughs> I am not an every kid, everywhere kind of guy. That's just not how I am wired. 
Filling a room with people who don't know Jesus is not nearly as exciting for me as sitting across a table with a high school kid struggling to find their identity. To this day, Sunday service is probably my least favorite aspect of my job here. I would much rather be involved or invited into a situation that needs pastoral counseling. That's where I feel at home. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just is. It's how I'm wired. We are all wired differently. The ways I best operate, the ways that I am most effective in my work for the kingdom are when I operate out of the gifts that God has given me. When I'm able to pastor. When I'm able to think and speak prophetically. Here is what's critically important about this passage. is It forces us to wrestle with the reality that we are all gifted differently. And that we all play a critical part to the formation of the body. Each of these gifts, the fourfold ministry, is represented here in this room, within each of you. One or two of these things resides. One or two of these things is hardwired into you. And if it's not already, already, it's waiting to be recognized and employed for the good of the kingdom. Every single one of us, everyone here has a part to play. And if the church is to truly be the church, then our unique differences, our strengths, our talents have to be employed for the body to be built in love. The tension is that our unity, the very thing that Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians calling us into, is most perfectly seen when we individually utilize our unique and different gifts for the benefit of the church. That is when the church is most full. That is when the church is most strong. The church is only the church when its, intent, when its uh, intention is apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers all working together, unique in their strengths and gifts, but unified in their purpose and mission. And that is what we have to figure out. How do we lean in to those things that God has given us specifically? Now, Paul makes a radical transition at this point in our chunk of Scripture this morning. At this point in the section, Paul kind of concludes the unity through diversity thought and goes back to connect to the thought he started with in chapter 4. It says this, starting in uh, verse 17. Now I say this and testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him, and we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to you which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness Paul began chapter 4 which Russ discussed last week using this picture of walking. Remember he says this, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Remember this is the first time in the book of Ephesians that he explicitly instructs the reader to do something. He emphatically is saying, "Be this way." He says, "Walk in humility, 
in gentleness and in patience, bearing with one another, in love. And if done, it will show the world our oneness. In our walking, the imperative is that we strive to keep the oneness in the community of faith. And then he goes on to say, in our oneness, we are in fact different, what we just discussed. We are gifted through the gift of, uh, of the grace of unique ways. And when we are fully acknowledged and express and employ these gifts, the church will be protected and the church will be the beautiful expression it was intended to be. The walking that Paul is calling us into is deeply connected with the expression of the gifts that we have been given. To walk rightly means to use the gifts that you have been given. To lean into the ways that you are hardwired. And so in verse 17, he says, Do not walk as the Gentiles walk. How many people have seen a baby first try to walk? Start with the first few steps. Raise your hand. But most of us, right? If you don't own, you, people don't own a baby. If you don't have a baby, <laughs> came out wrong. If you don't have a baby, let's say, um, again, didn't rehearse it, guys, sorry. <clears throat> if you don't have a baby, if you don't uh, have family members that have babies, you've seen it uh, through friends or on the internet or whatever, here is the deal with babies. So I've had three of them now. They're now grown. But um, here's the deal with babies. They're not very smart. In fact, I would say this. I would say cognitively and physically, they are very limited human beings. But when they begin to walk, when they take those first few steps, I genuinely believe that they are trying their best. And I think it's not really fair for us to expect much more for the first couple of weeks, right? They're going to take a few steps, and then they're going to fall down. They're going to take a few steps, and then their big heads just careen them right into the ground. <laughs> they just don't have the talent or the skills right away. But this is okay, right? Nobody gets mad at their baby because they can't walk right away. It's okay because they are walking in relation to their cognitive and their physical ability at that point. Paul goes back to this walk metaphor to remind us that we now know too much to walk as we once did. We know Christ. We have accepted his grace and his mercy. We have experienced his love. We have been called and we have been given gifts to be used in the kingdom. To deny these things in the way we live would be the same as going back and walking like a baby. We know too much. We are now too mature to walk in the way of the Gentiles. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, which I love. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When we cease to walk rightly, we are walking like the Gentiles. It's the same as reverting to childish ways. It's living into the old self, as he says towards the end of our section. And this is exactly what Paul warns us about. Over the last year or so, and I'll, I'll kind of end with this story here. Over the last year or so, I've had a privilege of witnessing a, a life uh, of somebody who was very, very dear to me become absolutely transformed. My sister... 
She is an incredible woman. She's eight years older than me. I have two sisters, nine years older and eight years older than me. Uh, I was assuredly an accident. Um, <laughs> my sister is an incredible woman, somebody who I look up to very, very much. She's uh, a, a devoted wife. Uh, I believe they are celebrating their 20th year anniversary here uh, next year. She's a mother of three incredible kids, all kind of in that middle school and high school years. She's a teacher in the Mead School District. She's a vibrant and selfless member of uh, their church out north. And yet for the majority of my sister's life, she has battled weight. She's been overweight. And over the years, she's tried a number of different diets, even to the point of going to hypnosis, but never to a, a lasting avail. Always disappointed with the results. And in many ways, in these last few years, she had reached a point of just acceptance. This is who I am. This is how I look. It will never be different. There is no changing at this point. But last winter, through a variety of circumstances, circumstances, she sought out on a journey to be different. And over the last year, she has lost 80 pounds almost to the point of being unrecognizable, where people that have known her for years and years and years will walk past her in the grocery store and not have a clue who this woman is. She's healthier than she's ever been. She has confidence and esteem in ways that she's never had in her entire life. And in, in many ways, she is exactly the same person, but she is totally different. It's been a, a remarkable story of transformation that I've just been able to watch and celebrate. I remember talking with her this last summer about the differences in her life over the course of the six, seven, eight months that she had really started out on this new journey. And, and she listed a number of things like uh, healthier eating, and, and she has certainly uh, changed the way she understands food and, and her diet and portion control and so forth. She listed a number of things. But then she said something that I found incredibly fascinating and, and really profound. And she didn't mean it this way, but it's one of those things that's just stuck with me. In a moment of transparency, she just looked at me and she said, honestly, Kevin, the biggest change came when I started walking. When I started walking. And it seemed so simple. I mean, it's such, such a simple thing. What she did last winter was she committed every day, rain or shine, to walk to the bus stop and pick up her kids coming off the bus. And it's a quarter of a mile walk or a half mile, I don't even know, but it was a walk. And she just said, this is where I start. I start by walking. Her walking began with different intentions. She decided, I'm going to give up the old self, and I will become new. This is where it began for her, and this is where it begins for us. Give up the old self. Stop walking like you did when you were a child and begin walking in the way of Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this, We all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. Some of us need to just start moving. Some of us need to turn around from the path we venture down. Others just need to be encouraged and told, keep walking. Keep walking. Regardless of where you're at, our call is to walk rightly, and in so doing, to use the gifts that we have been given 
for the journey. New community, would you stand with me? This is my uh, benediction, my prayer over you as we leave this morning. Lean into the gifts you have been given. Let them be what guides your actions, no longer reverting to childish ways that we once thought were acceptable. Walk so that your life will honor him and be true to the call which he has placed on you. Daily, put on the new self that you have been freely given through his abundant grace and mercy and love. And trust that as you serve through your unique giftedness, you are helping to further unify the church. Amen. Amen. Go in peace today. Yeah.